Let's return to the book of Micah this morning. The book of Micah, we are now in chapter 5. In fact, we're getting close to wrapping up chapter 5 as we make our way through this great prophecy. And chapter 5 here has been such a blessing to me as I've never really studied these things at length before. And to see God in all of this and how He operates and what He does, it's just amazing. And so take your time when you go through the Word of God. Don't just speed read it, but chew on it. Amen? All right, chapter 5, we've been considering verses 10 through 15 and the need for God to take us into His operating room when there are things in our life that are hindering us from fully trusting in Him, giving Him all the glory that He deserves. He performs surgery on us in order to remove those things. And God wants us to fully trust Him. He wants all the glory. In fact, the Bible says that glory is due unto His name. It's due. He's owed it. And we are to give Him glory. And when we don't, God wants to remove those things that are hindering that. And so we've seen here God is going to remove some things from their midst. He's going to cut off, destroy, pluck up, and throw down some things in the process. Let's begin again by reading verses 10 through 15. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. I will, cut off thy, I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds. And I will cut off witchcrafts out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee. And thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. And I will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the heathen such as they have not heard. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our Sunday school hour. Thank you for every teacher that's teaching now. Thank you for everyone that's here to listen. And we pray that you would reach our heart with your word, open understanding now that we might understand the scripture. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. All right, we've already covered verses 10 through 12 here over the last three lessons. I don't have time to recap all that we've covered so far from these verses, but please take the time to listen to those messages if you've missed them so you can be filled in on what's been said. But we have seen in verse 10 how God was going to destroy their military power by cutting off their horses and destroying their chariots. Uh, When God delivered them from Egypt, He commanded Israel not to trust in horses, not to trust in chariots, but eventually they did. So God was going to cut off and destroy because He was to be their strength. It was okay to have a military, but not to place your trust in it. And so God had to come to the place where He had to destroy it. In verse 11, we saw how God was going to cut off their cities, throw down their strongholds, and this was God's way of destroying the defenses that they had come to trust in. And again, nothing wrong with a strong defense, but putting it in the wrong place, God has to deal with it. A military and our defense and all of that, it's a blessing from God, amen? But we cannot look to that as the reason why somebody may not attack. We can't look at that as the reason why we think we might can defeat somebody. But our trust, our strength, our defense is all in God. 
God wanted to be their strength. God wanted to be their fortress. God, remember, He wanted to be the walls for them, the walls of their cities. Their cities were fortified. They became these strongholds. God said, no, I'm supposed to be your walls. Trust in me. And so God had to cut these things off. Then last time, we saw in verse 12, how God was going to cut off their witchcrafts and their soothsayers. While there was nothing wrong with military, there is something definitely wrong with witchcrafts and soothsayers. And so sometimes you can have something in your life you're trusting in above God. It may not necessarily be sinful in of itself, but it can become sinful by the way we place it above God. Other things we have in our life, God says, that, that's sinful. You can't have that no matter what. And so that's what the witchcrafts or the soothsayers were. And God needed to deal with that as well. It was wicked no matter what. It was an insult to God. And uh, Israel had placed these things above him and his prophets. And so remember, God said, I'm going to spew you from the land. We talked a lot about spiritual warfare in that lesson. The only remedy is to turn to Christ. Satan is subtle. And he draws people in through his subtlety. He never shows them the end of the depth that he wants to drag people into how dark that he wants it to get in someone's life. And so very subtly, he begins to work. And it's things that seem harmless enough. It may just be a movie. Just a movie, right? It may just be this or that. And the next thing you know, there's demonic influence in someone's life. And so uh, be careful about those things. I said a mouthful last lesson. If you missed it, you need to listen to it because I can't recap that. But let's move on to verses 13 and 14 today as we continue to look at God's operating room. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. So what we find here is God wants to cut off, pluck up, and destroy our idolatry. The graven images, the standing images were carved by the works of men's hands. I'll get to that in a second. The groves were planted to worship these false gods. And what took place in these groves was just sickening. So sickening that I wouldn't even want to mention it even in here with just adults, wicked, vile things that they would do to try to appease Baal and Ashtaroth and sick stuff that we read about in Leviticus, the groves. God said, I need that plucked up. The cities were those places dedicated to these false gods. Second Kings 10.25 mentions one of these cities as the city of the house of Baal. So these cities became dedicated to these gods. As we consider this thought, we need to understand this. God is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. And He wants the glory due to Him. He will not share His glory with another. God, when He gave Moses the Ten Commandments, He began by stating this in Exodus 20, verses 2 through 5, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. By the phrase, thou shalt have no other gods before me, we can ascertain that anything we place before God Almighty is an idol. Whatever is taking the place of God in your life is a false god. These can be graven images, amen? These can be statues. They can be things that people literally bow down before and worship and sacrifice to and burn incense to and all these sorts of things. We see it manifested in different ways throughout the religions of this world. In Hinduism, there are so many gods that no one really knows how many there are. So many that you could never successfully worship them all. Even if you took one per day, you would not have enough days in your lifetime to do that. In, in Buddhism, they bow down to an image of Buddha, but they'll tell you that they're not worshiping Buddha, but rather they're worshiping the, the Dharam. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But those are, um, that's what the statue supposedly represents, which is the teaching of Buddha about the law of nature and how we can live uh, accordingly, live by that. In Orthodox Judaism, you can see folks at the Wailing Wall. It's become an idolatrous place of worship. In Catholicism, statues of Mary are bowed down before and so-called saints, statues all around and burning incense and lighting candles too and all of these things are taking place. In Islam, the Kaaba in Mecca has become an idol. All of these are nothing more than the works of men's hands. And it seems foolish that someone can invent something, shape it, sculpt it, carve it, and that become their God. But that's the case. That's what's taking place. Imagine a God that you can pick up and move. A God that you can put on the shelf and you can move the dust around it. How foolish. How foolish. God said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. They have to be made. They have to be fashioned. They do not exist apart from man making them. How can they be a God at all then? Isn't that strange? And listen, I'm genuinely concerned for those caught up in that, and I'm not being ugly. But how strange that you can go to parts of this world and whole nations are bowing down to these things that man made. How sad. But understand this, an idol can be anything we elevate before or above God and it may not be a graven image. We can bow and worship all kinds of things that we may not necessarily give sacrifice to or burn incense to. You can make yourself an idol in your life. You can worship yourself. You can be the most important thing in your world. And you can do nothing but serve and worship yourself. I've seen people make careers their idol. Money their idol. 
success their idol, athletic achievement their idol. And if they didn't achieve it, by God, their children are, and that becomes their idol. Intelligence, their idol. Their image, their idol. Amen. Cars, their idol. Landscaping their yard, their idol. They wouldn't say it this way. Houses, their idol. Health, an idol. We've seen that a lot recently. And on and on we could go. I've even seen people make family their idol. Well, family's not an ungodly thing to have. I've seen where parents have made children their idol. And what happens is when you look to things like that, children grow up and move out. Family grows old and dies. Family members disappoint you. And when that happens, the people who have made those things their idol, their world comes crashing in because that's what they've placed their trust in. And now it's gone. Listen, I've seen it from this side of, of it now as a pastor where somebody important in someone's life dies and now they shake their fist at God and they're mad at the Lord and all the rest and they drop out. Who was really their God? I'm not being unloving. I'm just saying we, we cannot have those things in our life that, well, they just meant... They were my strength. Hold on. God should be your strength. So be careful about those things. God wants to be the only God in your life. That's it. Therefore, He commanded us to have no other gods beside Him. Nothing or no one is to take the place of God in our life. But when this happens, it eventually angers God. God gets angry. Oh no. Yes, it's true. It angers God. He begins the process of cutting off, plucking up, destroying, tearing down those things in our life that are hindering us from walking with Him as we should, those things that we have placed above Him. And so are there any idols in your life today? It may not be something tangible. It may. It may be something that you're doing that you're placing above God. And you can easily identify what is keeping you from serving God and wholly following after Him. How do I do that? Let me ask you some questions. What is keeping you from reading God's Word? What is keeping you from being faithful to church? What is keeping you from spending time in prayer? What is keeping you from witnessing to others? And what is keeping you from giving to God? That's an idol in your life. You have placed that above God because it's keeping you from obeying God. You say, you don't understand, I can't give. I'm just not in a financial position to do so. Have you seen the gas prices lately? Yes, I have. What's hindering you? That's an idol. You just don't understand. I'm so tired. I don't want to get up early. I don't want to. So you're saying yourself is your idol. Just trying to be a help to you. Amen. You can identify them easy. Either you deal with it or God will deal with it. It'd be far better if, if we would deal with it, if we would judge, than have God have to do the, the judging in our life and 
remove those things from us. It would be far better if we would just do it. Now, today I'm not going to do a whole lot of preaching, so bear with me. We're going to just let the Word of God speak. Amen. Um, that's, every Christian should have said amen right there. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. In relation to the children of Israel, we find that idolatry occurred very soon after them being delivered from bondage in Egypt. Now, let that sink in. Here's a group of people that God just delivered from Egyptian bondage after 400 and something years, right? God delivers them. God. And it wasn't long until they were back into idolatry. Now, that blows my mind. Now, I say that and I understand my weaknesses. It's easy to read the Word of God and be very judgmental on these folks. God sent the ten plagues. I mean, that, that right there, I think, would be enough to go, man, this God is legit, amen? He's not messing around. He sent these ten plagues. The death of the firstborn on top of all that. God sent these ten plagues. It was God who parted the Red Sea. Can you imagine walking through with a wall of water on both sides of you and what used to be a sea is now dry ground? It was God who led them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. It was God who gave them water, gave them manna. But still, that generation turned to idolatry in a little over three months after being delivered from Egypt. Can you imagine? Three months. Exodus 32, 1-4 through says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount... The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Repent. <laughs> no. Aaron said, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine? Later on in that chapter, verses 7 and 8, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. How pitiful is it that the children of Israel so quickly abandoned God who brought them out in favor of some calf that Aaron had to make and fashion. It's mind-boggling. I think the argument might could be made that they had in fact placed their trust in Moses and had made him an idol because they didn't come up with this harebrained scheme until they said, we don't know what's happened to Moses. Make us gods. Could be they were worshiping Moses. They were viewing him as the source. Don't put your trust in men or preachers or pastors or any of that stuff. 
Amen. Should God call me on the road <laughs> again? Listen, what if there's a delay? Are people going to say, we will not what's become a pastor. Let's Somebody make us some gods. We've got to... <laughs> Sounds silly, doesn't it? But that's what they did. And he was going up there and meeting with God. <laughs> well, just amazing to me, that whole turn of events there. As you know, this was not isolated to the wilderness generation. What a testimony it would be if that were true. But this problem continued into Joshua's generation and the generation that followed after Joshua. Joshua 24, 14 and 15, you're familiar with these. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away thy gods, which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, and by the way, I believe that's speaking of the Jordan River, not Noah's flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Of course, they said, we're going to serve God. They had right lip service. But we know they didn't. I wanted to read you all of that, but I took it out because I'm going to read a lot of passages today. But Joshua, he said to them, if, if you forsake God, he was warning them, that if you forsake God and serve strange gods, he said God would do them hurt and consume them. I believe this means for us, if we have idols in our life, we are actually forsaking God in the process. So Joshua said in Joshua 24, 23, Now therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. You cannot have God Almighty and your false gods at the same time. It does not work for God that way. Try to have your wife and another woman on the side and see if that works for your wife. Somebody say Amen. Because God calls it spiritual adultery. He says, you're running around on me. You're out there playing the harlot with these gods and your whoredoms I'm getting tired of. It's not my words. That's the Bible. You can't have both in your life and live a life that is pleasing to God. Understand God Almighty and any false gods... They cannot cohabitate the same place. Don't you just love the account of when the Philistines brought the ark of God into where Dagon was? That's one of my favorite accounts. Let me read it to you. 1 Samuel 5, 2-4 When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it in the house of Dagon. Now Dagon was their chief god brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. What kind of a God is that? That you have to put the God where it's supposed to be. Oh, it gets better. 
When they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. And I love this. Only the stump of Dagon was left to them. <laughs> just a stump. It just cracks me up. Carved them out of wood. Nothing left but the stump. God will not cohabitate with another God. Well, anyway... Back to Israel's chronology. As time went on for Israel, it only got worse. In the book of Judges, we find that Israel did not fully drive out the inhabitants of the land as God had told them to do. And they began to adopt their idolatrous ways, which is what God warned would happen if they didn't drive out the inhabitants of the land. He warned about this in the days of Moses. It says in Deuteronomy 4, 23-29, Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you. And make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. When thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the works of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him, if thou shalt seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So God warned them, if you go down this path, it's not going to end well for you. Deuteronomy 6, 14 and 15, Ye shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Yet listen to what we read after the death of Joshua. In that generation, Judges chapter 2, 10 through 14. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. and He delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. How about that? They did exactly what God said not to do. God warned them, if you don't drive the people out, this is what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. Maybe we need to have a little more separation with wickedness in the land. Perhaps we get just a little too close and we start to adopt their ways. God would raise up deliverers which would help Israel through the, books, uh, the book of Judges. But they would continue to go back to their idolatrous ways. There would be this ping pong back and forth. And the thing is, as that would happen, their time of captivity grew longer and longer, which each, each time they would go back to their false gods. 
But it got worse still. Once again, in the days of Solomon, it went downhill. In Solomon's day, idolatry really took root in the land. This is what the Bible says in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 10. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Who do those nations sound like? Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go after them or go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Women, do you understand the power you have in your relationship to your husband? For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible to me. Solomon, one of the wisest men, probably the wisest man civilly speaking. It says, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And went not fully after the Lord as David his father. Then Solomon built an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. How wicked was that? That was the God that they would send their children through the fire in. And in the hill that is before Jerusalem, or excuse me, it was Molech, the abomination of the children of of Ammon, not Chemosh, but Molech. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And now there was idolatry being accepted at the highest office of the land, the king. And I've mentioned this throughout this little section of Micah. But when the leaders in the land are corrupted, it filters down to the people. And, and I've, I've had these conversations with people that are like, we shouldn't get involved in politics and, and we shouldn't do this. And we Listen, there is something in Scripture about when the king did right and when the king did evil. It affects the people. And Solomon did evil and now idolatry was everywhere in the land of Israel. Now there were some along the way, hallelujah, that were bold enough to get in the face of people and turn Israel back to God Almighty. We think of people like the prophet Elijah. How long halt ye between two opinions? If ye be for God, then live for Him. And if you're for Baal, then live for Him. But make up your mind. Make up your mind. Stop trying to straddle the fence. Quit trying to have one foot over here and one foot over there. Make up your mind. Be hot or be cold. The people answered him, not a word. But throughout the kings, there was idolatry found within the land. The house of Israel, this was always true. Their idolatry began when Jeroboam made the two golden calves and I think put them in Dan and Beersheba, something like that. And he didn't want the... Ten tribes reuniting with the other two tribes, and so they fell for it. He used religion in politics. And it worked. 
and they always worshipped idolatry in the house of Israel. Meanwhile, in the house of Judah, there were some periods of revival, but most of their kings even never fully purged the land of idolatry. You'll read things like he took away the high places, but nevertheless the, you know, the groves or whatever were there. There would be this language where some of it was taken away, but not all of it. And if I remember correctly, somebody can correct me on this, but I think it was only King Josiah who fully purged the land. And he got rid of everything, and he was killing the bad priests. I mean, he wasn't messing around, amen? And so I think he did a good job of cleansing the land. But eventually, and, and here's what I mentioned earlier, and I want you to get this, because I think this is what we're guilty of in America today. Eventually, it got to the place in Israel where they were trying to syncretize God Almighty with their false gods. They were just trying to worship them all together, as if it's okay with God. And listen, you can't syncretize these things up. There, there's a religion out there called the Baha'i Faith. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but uh, they pretty much take the Book of Mormon, the Book of Moses, the Book of uh, Islam, the, the Bible. They, I mean, they take all these things, right, and they just combine them all together. We're all striving for the same place. And so, anyhow, that's what they were doing in Israel. They were worshiping all these false gods, and they were trying to worship God along with those. God says, I can't deal with that. They were no longer halting between two opinions. They were just grouping it all together. Kind of sounds like what we see in our day. I know at least in my lifetime you hear a lot about how all roads are leading to the same place. You know, these knuckleheads get on Larry King Live back in the day. I don't know if he's even still around. I don't know. He was old when I was young, amen. And he's still, anyway, the guy's got to be 137 by now. And, and they would come on to Larry King Live, and of course he'd ask him, is Jesus the only way to God? They would hem haul around. And that's what we're seeing. We're just seeing the this, this synchronizing of these gods that, well, you know, I, I think if, if a Muslim truly believes that Allah is this and that, you know, God's going to understand that and God's going to allow them into his heaven. That's not what the Bible says. God finally had enough of their idolatry. He declared judgment was on the way. And, and here's how God works, okay? This is going to sound heartless to some people in America today. But God says, you want it, you got it. You want to trust in that? Then trust in that. We'll see if they can deliver you in the time of your trouble. And so that's what God did. Deuteronomy 32, 15 through 18. But Jeshuron waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxed and fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. This is a way of saying they had been blessed. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not unto God. To gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up. Whom your fathers feared not, of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. In Judges 10, 13 and 14, God had said this, Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Jeremiah 2, 26-28, As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, saying to a stock or a piece of wood, Thou art my father, 
and to a stone thou hast brought me forth. For they have turned their back unto me, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble they will say, Arise and save us. But where are thy gods which thou hast made thee? Let them arise if they can save thee in the time of thy trouble. For according to the number of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah. I guess I've got to read faster, okay? Isaiah 45, 20 through 22. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up wood of the graven image or pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who have declared this from ancient time? Who have told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Now the fact is I could read you passage after passage after passage about God warning and them worshiping false gods. It's throughout the Old Testament. They were caught up in this all the time. These gods that can't see, can't hear, can't breathe, can't talk, can't smell God's head, can't do anything. And yet they're worshiping these things that you just sit there. Now let me bring this home because i got to close. But there are many ways in which God describes those who worship false gods. I want to give you just a sampling of some things I came across just from a casual glance. God identifies those as a teacher of lies, being brutish in knowledge, having no knowledge, being confounded as falsehood, as being vile, as vanity, as being impoverished, as being corrupted, as faulty, as being an empty vine, as whoredoms, as adultery, as detestable, as nothing, as wind and confusion. And he ultimately, he ultimately calls it all profitable for nothing. Now, why would anyone desire anything above God? That's what God says that you're doing when you do that. You're all those things. Why would you want something else? Why would you want some other God than the God who delivered you from your bondage? If you're in Christ, you've been delivered from Egypt, amen? Why would you go looking for other gods? It makes no sense. Why would you place anything above God in your life? It's not unique to the Old Testament. Acts chapter 17, verse 29, Paul was, was at Athens there where he saw the altar to the unknown God and he saw a city wholly given to idolatry. But he said this in Acts 17, 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. For sake of time, I'll just skip to this. Idolatries in there. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Again, there's a list. The end says in covetousness, which is idolatry. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And then, of course, you got to read this passage, right? 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath uh, he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. 
As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God wants His people to come out from idolatry. What agreement hath the temple of God, which we are when we are born again, what business do we have having idols in our temple? Let me end this by ending how John ended 1 John. 1 John 5.21, the last verse there says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Are there any idols you need to remove from your life? Don't allow anything to come before you and God. Wholly follow after Him. Walk with Him all the days of your life and you will be blessed. But if you forsake Him, you will experience His judgment, which we'll see in verse 15 next time. If you have idols which are robbing God of the glory due to His name, then expect God to eventually perform surgery on you. He's going to cut off, destroy, pluck up, tear down, throw down. He's going to perform surgery. And it would be far better if you would just learn to forsake your idolatry than God having to get in the mix of it and experience what He has to do in your life to get the glory. Exodus 34, 14, For thou shalt worship no other gods, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Let's pray.